Good morning, Grace Vineyard. And everybody else joining us, listening to this talk on uh, YouTube or via our website, uh, you are very welcome. And I hope this series we're going through in the book of Acts is an encouragement to you. And if this is your first time with us, you can find all of the previous talks in this series and many others on our website and YouTube channel. My name is Mark Stoneham and I'm part of the teaching team here at Grace Vineyard. Over the last few months, we've been going through the book of Acts and working our way through tracking how the early church was birthed, how it grew and the challenges that it faced along the way. Today, we're going to look at chapter 18 and I've titled this talk Life in the Spirit. It's always too soon to quit. So before we get started, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your promise that you gave to Paul as recorded for us in this chapter. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking for I am with you. Lord, engrave your words on our hearts now as we look at this episode in Paul's life and help us to trust you in all things, no matter what. Amen. So this morning I want to focus on faith as we look at this account of Paul's life and how faith in Jesus enabled him to overcome fear. From our vantage point in history, Paul the Apostle was probably the greatest theologian, evangelist and teacher that's ever been, apart from Jesus that is. But from Paul's point of view, he was just another believer, just like you and me, living his life as best he could to serve Jesus and live out the Great Commission. And I hope this morning, that as we look at this episode in Paul's life and his ministry, we will see that no matter how hard or difficult the course of following Jesus gets, it's always too soon to quit. And faith is the key. Our passage is Acts 18, 1-17. Uh, I'm not going to read it all now. That's something you can do later on this week or later on today. But I will be dipping in and out as we go along. Now, in this episode of Paul's life, we find him in a quite tense situation. So Paul stayed there. This is in Corinth for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. But when Gallio became governor of Achaia, some of the Jews rose in concerted action against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. But as we've, as we've seen, Paul's been here before, hasn't he? Now, like me, if you know Paul's missionary journeys in Acts, you could easily have the initial reaction when we read this chapter of, oh yeah, yet another visit of Paul. No different to his previous visit. We know things happen. The pattern's been established. Paul goes to city. Paul reasons with the Jews in the synagogue. Some accept him. Some reject him. So Paul tells them what for. Turns to the Gentiles. He teaches the Gentiles. And they believe. The Jews get angry. Um, and they take him to court. They don't get anywhere. So they take out their frustration on the nearest person. Often Paul himself. Etc. Etc. And it's repeated time after time. It's like watching one of those period dramas with Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson, Remains of the Day or Howard's End. These films don't have a beginning or an end or a plot, really. They just start. Um, before you know it, they end and the credits roll. And you think, well, why did I spend two hours of my life watching that? Give me a nice action movie or even better, a sci-fi. I remember when George Lucas digitised and remastered the original three Star Wars films. Uh, and release them again in cinema, my son Craig was just at the right age that I could take him along and he could understand and get into them. And it was great because I could watch them again myself. And the slogan in these in the adverts for these films was something like, Star Wars, 
the trilogy, see it again for the first time. And you notice how I always use the same sort of voiceover doing this. Anyway, my point is that the Bible, like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and the stories of Narnia, are full of um, great adventures against incredible odds where the hero wins the day. But here in this chapter in Acts, because the course events are so similar to other visits, it's easy to, sit, to skip through and miss something important. And so here is Paul, well into his second missionary journey, but he's seen it all before, hasn't he? But wait a minute, there's something different here in chapter 18 in this particular episode. Let's read Acts 18 verses 9 and 10. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent, for I am with you and no one will harm you. Why did Jesus have to say that to Paul? What happened to this man who Jesus had chosen and given us so much of our teaching and through whose ministry so much of the early church was established to make him afraid? Was he really ready to run scared? If so, why? You see, something is different here. Unlike Paul's other missionary trips, something has happened to Paul, which Luke, the writer of Acts, feels is significant enough to include in the book of Acts. And of course, today, we can't avoid the fact that God planned that we would be able to read this particular account of Paul's life. So maybe we need to take note. This visit to Corinth actually turns out to be a significant event, not only in Paul's life and ministry, but in the history of the church. So what can we learn? Well, if we look at the passage in relation to what's happened to Paul, we will see that there are three phases to Paul's stay in Corinth. And so in time-honoured fashion, um, I've got three points. They all start with the same letter. And I'm sorry, but that's my Baptist background coming out. Um, so I'm going to talk about fear, faith, and following Christ. Fear. Why fear? Why should Paul suddenly begin to lose his trust in Jesus, who had already done so many tremendous things in Paul's life? Uh, well, we need to look a bit harder at the events leading up to the current situation that Paul's in. Paul's actually just over halfway through his second mystery journey to Macedonia, which starts in chapter 16, where Paul sees a vision of a man saying, come over here and help us. And so according to Luke's account, they set out from Troas and go to Macedonia. In Thessalonica, an angry crowd starts a riot and they storm the house where Paul and Silas are, but they're secretly whisked away to Beria. But as soon as they find out they're in Beria, they go there and start trouble as well. And so this time Paul is whisked away on his own to Athens because they're really afraid of Paul's life. And then, as Mark shared with us last week in chapter 17, Paul was in great distress because of all the idolatry in the city. So by the time Paul reaches Corinth, still on his own, he's had running after running with the Jews and come against loads of opposition wherever he's been. So he enters Corinth, a great commercial centre, with not one but two great ports, is a city of seafarers and merchants. The intellectually arrogant, which Paul clearly evaluates them as in his later correspondence with him in Corinthians 1 and 2. It was also associated with immorality. Behind the city, 2,000 feet above, was a temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, with a thousand temple prostitutes serving in the temple and roaming the streets at night. So Paul probably felt, again, great anguish and great distress because of the sin all around him. 
That is why he later wrote in his first letter to the Corinthian church, Dear brothers and sisters, when I first came to you, I didn't use lofty words and brilliant ideas to tell you God's message, for I decided to concentrate only on Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. It was their pride and immorality that intimidated Paul, and he concluded that he wouldn't be able to reason with them like he had in other cities. The only way he could preach the gospel would be to preach Jesus and the cross. That's why he came in weakness, timid and trembling. This was no easy option. The cross would come into collision, a direct conflict with their lifestyle. And if we look through the first five verses of chapter 18, we see that Paul took some time coming to this decision, i.e. the only way to get through to him was to preach about Jesus and the cross. Then Paul left Athens, went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had been expelled from Italy as a result of Claudius Caesar's order to deport all the Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers, as he was. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and the Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, it's only then Paul spends his full time preaching and testifying to the Jews, telling them the Messiah you were looking for is Jesus. So when Paul first arrived in Corinth, he spends his days working as a tent maker and only going to the synagogue on the Sabbath. We're not told why he did this, although I suspect he was weary from all the opposition. He was alone without his friends around him and he felt vulnerable. And it's not until Silas and Timothy join him um, that he devotes himself to preaching the good news and preaching about Jesus. And today things haven't really changed, have they? There's immorality and materialism all around us. And our society is, is intellectually arrogant, isn't it? Most things are okay, and if you say anything, you're a bigot or you're prejudiced. Our society, society thinks the Bible is outdated and irrelevant in our enlightened world. And the big question for us to do today is, do we just blend in and accept uh, that this is the way it is, or do we react with great distress, as Paul did? As I said, Paul's intimidated uh, by the pride and immorality of the Corinthians. And the same is true for us today. Pride and immorality of our society is very intimidating. We can't reason with people who don't even know what the word sin means, let alone admit to do anything wrong. Like Paul found, the only way to demonstrate Jesus and who Jesus is, is through the way we live and the way we care for each other and we care for those around us in the community. It's so tempting to change things, to sit better with our culture, to try and make church more attractive and blur the lines of what the Bible actually says. But if that becomes our main aim, we just become a club and we lose the very gospel that is the only thing that can save us and the world around us. You see, God, God's and our greatest enemy was involved in a serious attack on the gospel at this point. And Paul was feeling the heat. Could Paul come up with the goods when it really mattered? So why was Paul becoming fearful? Well, after so much opposition and so many trials, isn't it easy to understand why Paul might have been tempted to tone things down, to tone his message down and, and, and make it easier for himself? Let's turn the question on us. You know, if we've been Christians for, for a while, we've been through 
uh, troubles. Well, everyone goes through troubles and trials, don't they? Uh, think back. Remember what happened, how you felt. Remember how, because you're a Christian, Jesus helped you through and delivered you. Does the memory move you? And although it was hard at the time, uh, aren't you a better person because of it? And hasn't the testing made you more trusting in Jesus because of that experience? I hope the answer is yes. But it's no easy to have faith, is it, in Jesus the next time we're in a time of trouble or, or, or problems. John White, who's one of John Wimber's theologians in the early days, in his book, The Fight, puts it like this. Yesterday's miracle does not make today's obedience any easier. I'll read that again. Yesterday's miracle does not make today's obedience any easier. You see, what often happens is we take our eyes off Jesus and begin to focus on circumstances. And I suspect that's exactly what Paul did here. And that's why he was fearful. Paul had been preaching the good news for so long he'd forgotten it for himself almost. Because as it says in Romans, faith comes from listening to the message of God, of the good news, the good news about Christ. By taking his eyes off Jesus and focusing on the circumstances around him, Paul began to lose his faith a little bit, I think. And as soon as that happened, it meant he started doubting God. We're no different to Paul. He wasn't a superman, he was just like us. And when doubt sets in, we doubt one of two things about God. His power or his love. Either we doubt that he can help us, or we doubt that he really wants to. As this quote from the fight, yesterday's miracle does not make today's obedience any easier. What Paul needed was a word from God and a word from Jesus. And that's exactly what we have in verses 9 to 11. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will harm you, because many people here in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, teaching the good news of God. Because of Jesus' word to him, Paul was released from his fear and set free to serve again. So free from fear that he stayed there another year and a half. What a turnaround. God had given us so much word of his word in his Bible and we need to read it because that's where we find these words of Jesus. And we can't expect to get a personal word like Paul did if we haven't even bothered to find the promises that are in the Bible. In Connect Group uh, two weeks ago, we read Psalm 41 to 10, which is a powerful psalm of deliverance. And if you're going through a particular tough time at the moment, read those verses and I know you will be encouraged. Encouraged. Uh, God gives us many promises in the Bible. Let's just read a couple. Isaiah 40, 28 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And Isaiah 43, 1-3. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you my name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fires of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. And I'm sure that Paul, when he got this word from Jesus, was reminded 
of these passages in Isaiah. And in fact, that's where Paul gets his commission to the Gentiles in Isaiah 49, 6. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So Paul's fear turns to faith. So let's talk about faith. What is faith? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us what is faith. It is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It is the evidence of things we cannot yet see. However, again, according to John White, this is a widely misunderstood verse about faith. Many Bible teachers have taken it as a literal translation. And that doesn't seem wrong. You know, doesn't seem any wrong with that. It fits in with what we're seeing here. Um, and therefore they taught that faith is a state of being certain uh, and sure, which puts all the focus on assurance and conviction and puts the focus on us, really. But John White has paraphrased it this way. Faith is a means by which Christians do business beyond time and space and bring to pass otherwise unrealized hopes. Faith is the means by which Christians, that's you and me, do business beyond time and space and bring to pass otherwise unrealized hopes. This was definitely the case for Paul, wasn't it? Because yes, he had the promise from Jesus, uh, but he had to be obedient to the command to keep on speaking before that promise could be fulfilled. And we saw before Paul doubted that he was doing and saying the right thing here in Corinth. And as we said earlier, Yesterday's miracle does not make today's obedience any easier. But now Paul has the words of the vision of Jesus ringing in his ears. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in the vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will harm you. And how much faith do we need? Well, when the disciples pleaded with the Lord to increase their faith, he just said to them, all you need is faith as small as a mustard seed. Well, that's not the end. It's just the beginning. You see, Paul's faith in Jesus and his faith that Jesus will help him complete the mission of being a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth was now greater than it ever been. And Paul must have learned a valuable lesson because he stayed another uh, 18 months. And he says this, uh, he says this in his letter to the Corinthians in Corinthians 2. Uh, As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in trouble, hardship, in distress, in beatings, imprisonments and riots. And he goes on. And then in verse 7, in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Well, what weapons is Paul talking about? Well, he talks about these when he writes to the Ephesians in chapter 6. In every battle, you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Whatever flaming darts of fear or dismay or pain may be flung at you, don't look at circumstances as Paul started to. Look up at Jesus and trust in him and the flaming darts will splutter out and die on your shield of faith. Because as Paul puts it uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. So thirdly and lastly, following Christ, Paul came to the realisation that every day, every situation requires, requires renewed faith in obedience to God and Jesus through that faith. 
So Paul regains his faith and was obedient. And so we're back to verse 11. Paul stayed there for the next year and a half in Corinth, teaching the word of God. His renewed faith is put into action by obedience to keep speaking. But now, as we've always seen, the crunch comes. True to form, the Jews start to make trouble. But when Gallio became governor of Achaia, I'm sure that's how you say it anyway, um, some Jews rose in concerted action against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. Yet again, Paul is dragged up before the local beak and he must have been praying like mad. Help me believe that vision, Jesus. It wasn't just wishful thinking, was it? Paul's faith and confidence could be in for another bashing. However, just as Paul starts to speak, Jesus fulfills his promise amazingly. It's already been taken care of. But just as Paul starts to make his defence, Gallio turned to Paul's accusers and said, Listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing or serious crime, I would be obliged to listen to you. But since it's a mere question of words and names and your Jewish laws, you take care of it. I refuse to judge such matters. And he drove them out of the courtroom. Wow. Paul must have been speechless at once uh, as Jesus dramatically keeps his promise of 18 months previous to protect him. But Jesus did much more than keep his promise to protect Paul. And this is the significant bit that we need to need to grasp on. Um, you see, by refusing to take seriously the Jewish case against Paul, Gallio, in effect, gave credibility to the Christian faith and established a significant legal precedent which would be immensely important to the church's future. The gospel could no longer be charged with illegality because a Roman consul, a Roman proconsul, had given a judicial decision which became imperial policy. That's what happens in our law, doesn't it? And Jesus had indeed kept his promise to protect Paul by the full force of Roman law. So do you see now how this visit to Corinth was such a significant event, not only in Paul's life and ministry, but in the history of the church? In this case in Corinth, Jesus put in place the basis for Paul's later claim to be heard in Rome, which ultimately resulted in Caesar becoming a believer and hearing about Jesus. The rest, as the saying goes, is his story. Faith based on Jesus, even as small as a mustard seed, can achieve amazing things if we follow Jesus' obedience as Paul did. So, in conclusion, like Corinth, Pearly can be an intimidating place. Immorality and pride are all around us. But we must take the gospel, the good news, however you want to say it, to those around us, if they are to have any chance of a place in God's kingdom. That's why we've been going through Mission Shaped Living. And I know with lockdown, the restrictions for the last nine months have made connecting with people really difficult. But this pandemic will end. It will end one day. And we need to be ready then to do what Paul did and introduce people to Jesus. We certainly will go in weakness and fear and trembling and sparks bound to fly, but that's okay. If Paul felt like that, it's not surprising we will too. But let's learn from Paul and renew our faith because the promise Jesus made to Paul is also available to us. 
If we walk in faith, don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent, for I am with you. Fear can try and rob us of our faith, as it did with Paul. But we can learn from Paul's experience in Corinth, and like him, put our trust in Jesus, because true faith has to be based on Jesus and Jesus alone, the word of God. Our faith in Jesus, as Paul found, is the only thing that enables us to stand firm when the pressure is on. You see, if like Paul, we obey and do what God says, the might of eternity will pass through us, like it did through Paul, to touch those around us. If we continue to obey God, who, who can begin to imagine what we can achieve within us, what God can achieve within us? And, and in Pearly and those around us. For as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5-7, we walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you're always with us. Lord, may we, like Paul, come to a place of faith in light of your promise. Don't be afraid to speak out. Don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will harm you, for I am with you. Wherever and whenever we are, may we never quit no matter what we face. For as you promise, and this is what we say in Ephesians 3, Now glory be to God, his mighty power at work within us. He is able to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever dare to ask or hope. May he be given glory in the church and in Christ forever and ever through endless ages. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. And you, as I said at the beginning, you can find out more about uh, Grace Vineyard on our website at www.gracevineyard.co.uk. Bless you. And then we're going to have some questions for our breakout groups.